you know, sometimes Christians get kind of perturbed at these believers who just want to talk about the return of Jesus from heaven. God rewards the believer who thinks that way. The one who loves and looks and longs for the return of Christ, God's going to give him a crown just for that spirit. Why? Because those who long for his return, the scripture says, purify themselves. It has a purifying effect on their behavior. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are doing a study in the book of James. Having looked at the inevitability of trials in our own lives, let's join Pastor Carl now as he examines the generosity of God when it comes to his children asking for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without a a reproach and it will be given to him. If you need wisdom to evaluate your problems in life with joyful endurance, ask God. And please circle the word all in the, in the verse, because it's a reminder that our Heavenly Father does not pr- play favorites. He doesn't say, well, you're one of my top students. I'm going to give you wisdom. Oh, that other brother, I'm not so sure. No, God gives to all, to all generously and without reproach. The word generous literally means to spread out, to stretch out. It's a picture of God with outstretched arms wanting us to come to him. That's the attitude. That's the spirit that God has. Sometimes I ask someone to do something that I need some help with, and they say, well, pastor, if you, if you can't find anybody else, come back to me. But God is not like that. He doesn't say, you know... You were just here five minutes ago. What are you doing back here? God's not bothered. With outstretched arms, liberally, without reproach, he is willing and wanting to give you wisdom. He's got open hands, not a clenched fist. He's wanting and willing to respond. Now, notice what James does not say. He does not say, if any man lacks knowledge, let him ask of God. No, he uses this word, wisdom. Mankind increasingly has more and more knowledge. We know how to travel faster than the speed of light, but we're going in the wrong direction. And our depravity is showing itself more and more with every decade that goes by. Now, there's a third reason we fail the tests of life. Sometimes we fail because of a lack of wisdom. Sometimes because of a lack of prayer. But sometimes we fail in our trials because of a lack of faith. A lack of faith. Look now, if you will, at verse 6. But we must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Our request for wisdom must be asked like any other request that we make of God in faith. In faith without any doubting of God's ability or his desire to give us that wisdom. So it's essential not only that you come in faith. Notice again, let me read it again. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Some of your translations say like a wave of the sea. What a beautiful description. Someone who comes in unbelief or they don't think it's really necessary for them to ask, that they can figure it out on their own, then they're like a boat on the sea that's turbulent, just up and down and all over the place. 
And James wants us to know, look, if you're in this state of agitation, it's either A, because you did not ask, or B, you did not come in faith. Which is why he now says in verse 7, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That is, the one who doubts, who lacks faith, should not expect God will give him anything. Let's read verses 7 and 8 together. Look at your text. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God is clear that wisdom is never given to the double-minded man. It's the ninth inning, the seventh game of the World Series. The bases are loaded. The game is tied. There are two outs, a full count. The man gets up. To hit the ball. It's the most determinative pitch of the whole game. He bunts up the third day baseline and the man runs for home. They're not sure whether he hit home base or not. And the umpire, everyone's waiting for his decision. Hmm. This is a tough one. I'm not really sure whether he's out or not. Listen, that's what James would call a double-minded man. When you ask God for wisdom, you are to come knowing and believing that he is there with open arms wanting to respond to you. And if that's your attitude, God will give you wisdom. If it's not your attitude, then you claim verse 7 as a promise. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. You'll be like a boat tossed out on a turbulent sea. Doesn't matter how many words you bring to God in prayer. There has to be a single-mindedness that you come to God with, not a double-mindedness, and that's where the problem is. People come. They come asking for wisdom, but they've already got their mind made up. Or they come asking for wisdom. And part of them wants the will of God, but there's a part of them over here that they don't want to give up this sin, that they know is sin, they know it's evil, and they don't want to turn away from it. And you say, oh, God, give me direction. God says, I won't. They're hoping sometimes that God is just going to rubber stamp the decision that they've already made in their own mind. A double-minded man, literally the Greek text says a two-souled man, a man with two souls in modern vernacular, a man with two hearts or two directions. He's referring to someone who's constantly up and down, changing allegiances, and hasn't determined in his mind whether or not he's going to walk in the center of God's will. No, God says, you come with a single-minded devotion because he's worthy of single-minded devotion. Lord, I am willing. Here I am. My heart is clear vertically with you. My heart is clear horizontally with my brother. Here I am, Lord, whatever you want, show me the purpose of this trial, and you will know the wisdom that God promises to give. Now, third, if we face our trials victoriously, we are to have joy in our trials. We're to ask for wisdom through our trials. But finally, in verses 9 through 12, James teaches us we are to gain perspective from our trials. We are to gain perspective from our trials. Let's read verses 9 through 11, and then we'll go back and dig out the finer points. But the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position, and the rich man is the glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass. And its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits 
will fade away. Now, what exactly is James speaking about here concerning these different kinds of Christians that are typically found in any local assembly? Now, do not forget the context of verses 9 through 11 are trials. And if you were not here last week, as to the background and the occasion for which this book was written, you need to download the Search the Scriptures app if you have a smartphone or go on your computer and listen into the opening message. It was an hour and 22 minutes long in this service. So I preached a long time, and I appreciated that you listened and stayed. Now remember, this is a general epistle. Is addressing not only the well-to-do, but the not-so-well-to-do, the poor believers in the church. And so verse 9, he speaks of the brother of humble circumstances, the brother who's economically deprived. And then in verses 10 and 11, he addresses the rich man who is entrusted with much. And both groups of people are going to experience trials, which is the great equalizer. Now follow along his reasoning. First, the poor believer can rejoice in God's exaltation. The poor believer can rejoice in God's exaltation. He writes here in verse 9, but the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. James is saying here, the poor believer can rejoice in his trials. Why? Because God is taking note of his humble circumstances. Or the American Standard Version of 1901, I like it, of his low degree. In other words, a poor brother of low degree or of humble circumstances, of low estate. And by the way, this is the exact same word that is used to describe Mary that she uses to describe herself, and rightly so, in that magnificent prayer sometimes we study at this time of year. The Magnificant from the Latin translation of the Bible. The song of praise we often title her prayer. And she said in Luke 1, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he's had regard for the humble estate or the low degree or the low estate. It's the same Greek word. He has had regard for the humble estate of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. It's the same word that James uses to describe the poor man here in James 1 in verse 9. And it's used of Mary, the mother of the Lord. Why? Because she was a peasant woman. She wasn't wealthy. We know that from the kind of offering that her and Joseph gave there at the dedication of the Lord Jesus. Mary rejoiced. She had a sense of exaltation in her heart such that she can say, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. You see, we tend to sometimes view the rich people of this world as big shots. And sometimes rich people will view themselves as big shots. But God is watching, God is looking carefully at the poor brother, and God wants to equally mature him through a trial as he does the rich brother through a trial. And so James, under the inspiration of the Spirit, can say, but the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. Because God is not a respecter of persons, the brother who is poor, lowly, of humble circumstances can glory. He can be glad, so to speak, because the Lord can provide for him true riches, true rank in the kingdom of God through the trials and the maturation that it brings. Before I came here, I was doing different things, but one of the jobs I had is I was the director of executive ministries for Dallas for uh, Campus Crusade Ministries at the time. And, you know, we had ministries and crew that were trying to reach the down-and-outers, and this was a ministry to reach the up-and-outers, CEOs of major corporations and so on. I had the, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm, I'm not. God just cares about these rich executives. 
one of the guys we met in a home, the guy who was the CEO of 7-Eleven, and this guy came to the Bible study, and I followed him up, and I was able to introduce him to Christ. And he was the owner of the largest Mercedes dealership in the United States until the recession in the 1980s hit Dallas. It was a recession in and of itself. I mean, real estate in Dallas was indexed to oil, and the oil market just fell apart, and so did the whole state of Texas in many ways. And we were trying to come here and be your pastor, and we lived in a house, and there were three empty houses this way, and two across the street, and five over there, and people were just tossing their keys and literally walking away. And you're trying to sell your house? Not an easy thing, but God provides God works. So here we were. We're sitting in this country club just before his membership expired. And he said to me, Carl, I'm really glad what's happened to me. I've lost everything. But I'm really glad what happened, has happened to me because he said, I don't believe I would ever have found Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and the forgiveness that he has, happened, he has given me. And my, joy, my heart is just so filled with joy, I'm a different person. See, that's what God speaks of here. That, listen, in spite of the millions of dollars that he lost, the brother of humble circumstances can also rejoice knowing that trials can be used to build him and to shape him or in some cases to bring him into the kingdom. And like Mary, the mother of the Lord, he had absolutely no regrets. So the poor believer can rejoice in God's exaltation. The rich believer can rejoice in God's humiliation. Look further now. Let's look at verse 10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. And he continues the illustration here in verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and the flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, and the midst of his pursuits will fade away. In other words, the rich man is to glory. He is to be glad in his humiliation, because when he goes through a trial, they can remind him that in spite of all the comfort that he is enjoying, it's temporary. It's fading. It's like the grass that sprouts and then is brown. It's like the flower that is magnificent and then it fades away. You go to Israel in the spring and sometimes it's just breathtaking. What is typically brown across the state is green. And you see all these magnificent flowers, sometimes even out in the desert. And then come May, the heat comes up. And it all turns brown. And, and James is writing uh, from this perspective. That's what the rich man and his riches are like. They will, in the end, all fade away. It's what Jesus warned in Luke 12. He said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. But is that not how we tend to measure life? Oh, he's successful. Look at what he owns. Ah, oh, man, he's a loser. He doesn't have much. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable, and he just reminds us that the way God measures life and the way the world measures it is very, very different. So if the rich man, and if he's a brother in Christ, then the Scripture says he is to glory in his humiliation because possessions are temporal. They're like the flower that fades, like the grass that turns brown. 
And so how much better to put our life, to put our identity into treasure that will never fade away. And he's going to explain that as we continue to work through the book. But the point that James is trying to make here is that trials have a way of humbling the rich man who may have much of this world's possessions, but equally needs the character of Christ. But it is also a blessing to the poor man because that poor man is a prince of God as well. And when this life is over, he can have great treasure that is in heaven. And so trials humble the rich man. They bless the poor man because God uses them as the great equalizer in the body of Christ. So the poor man can rejoice in God's exaltation. The rich believer can rejoice in God's humiliation. All believers can rejoice in God's promise. All believers can rejoice in God's promise. Look now, if you will, at verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So James begins, blessed is the man. Sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount, does it not, from Matthew 5. He is just saying here that there's a blessing, there's a, there's a satisfaction, there's a sense of deep joy that comes in the heart of the man who perseveres under a trial, who endures under the trial, who goes through the trial and comes out shining on the other end. Blesses the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved. And the word approved is a word that was used of metals that were put through a fiery furnace and all the alloys were skimmed off and, and it was a good metal then. It was a solid metal then. And he is just saying that trials can improve us. They can make us strong. They can make us genuine. And then he says, for once he has been approved, he received the crown of life. There's a lot of superficial Christians who are sitting in superficial churches that don't teach the Bible that results in superficial Christian lives. He's talking about, that's why they don't teach the book of James. He's talking about a man who's gone through the trial and he's approved, and what happens? He gets the crown of life. What a promise. Now, if you were with us in our series on the Revelation, we studied as we cover in the basic discipleship course, we call it discovery class, when we are open in, these non, in a non-COVID atmosphere, it will come back. This is not forever. God is using this for good. There's a lot of blessings that have come through this COVID thing. I hope you're not missing them. But we studied the various crowns that God will give. And, and we studied in the Revelation that just like hell is not the same for all lost people, Heaven is not the same for all saved people. Hell is an awful place for anyone who goes there. And so when the Bible gives general descriptive terms of hell, it just will make, your, make you shiver. But somehow in the perfect justice of God, the New Testament affirms that hell will be worse for some people than others based on the amount of revelation they had and what they did with that revelation and how they responded. Heaven, listen, when it's described in general terms, it's magnificent for anyone who goes there. But it's not the same for everyone who goes there. In the perfect justice of God, at the judgment of the just, not to see if you get into heaven, but how you will be rewarded when you get into heaven and throughout all of eternity, God will reward his people with crowns. 
So here's a chart that we studied in some months past, and we saw that there's a number of crowns that are named in the Bible. There's the imperishable crown. For those who deny their sin nature, as 1 Corinthians 9 affirms, there's the evangelistic crown. That's for the Christian who, who seeks to win people to the kingdom. It might be you invite them to the Christmas Eve service. It might be you share a word of testimony. It might be that you try to take someone through the plan of salvation. God is going to reward the faithful Christian who does that. I hope you realize that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he left heaven and the splendor of it and became a man and humbled himself to the point of death, even on a cross, so that people could be saved. And when you're involved in winning people for what the Son of Man said he came to do, to seek and to save that which is lost, he'll reward you in eternity. Some of them say, well, that's not my gift. That's not my, it's your loss. You're disobeying Scripture. There's the evangelistic crown. There's the expecting crown. You know, sometimes Christians get kind of perturbed at these believers who just want to talk about the return of Jesus from heaven. God rewards the believer who thinks that way. The one who loves and looks and longs for the return of Christ, God's going to give him a crown just for that spirit. Why? Because those who long for his return, the scripture says, purify themselves. It has a purifying effect on their behavior. There's a shepherd's crown. That's for the pastor who is faithful to open the scriptures, to study and show himself approved and explain the scriptures to the people of God. God will reward every faithful pastor for that. And then there's the trial's crown, what he calls here the crown of life. For those who joyfully endure through trials... And God will give them the crown of life. Why? Because when they count it joy, they're saying, God, I believe you. I am walking by faith. And God is glorified as men see our good works. And as we studied in Revelation 4, the function of crowns is not to wear them on our, heaven, on our, on our heads in heaven. It's to cast them at the feet of Jesus and to worship him. So some believers will have greater rewards throughout all of eternity because of their faithfulness and love for the Lord. And by the way, when James says, blesses the man, this is not a, a wish. He's not saying, well, I hope you'll be blessed. No, this is a verdict. Blessed is the man who gets this crown of life. And if you're new to the Bible, please understand he is not speaking about earning heaven. You cannot work your way to heaven. Heaven is by grace. He is speaking of those who are saved and the rewards that are coming in the future. And again, you can't choose your crosses. None of us can. But we can choose our responses. Let's read all of verse 12. Blesses the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that is to be our motivation, to love him. Now, don't forget the original audience. They are in trouble. We looked at it last week in verse 1. The 12 tribes who are dispersed, scattered like seed. Why? Because of persecution. In first century, Jews had double trouble. Number one, Gentiles hated them. Why? Because Satan hates the Jew. The Jew brought us the Savior, and the Jewish people are going to bring the Savior back. And so there's been a spirit of anti-Semitism since God founded the nation. There's no people on the face of the earth who have been persecuted like the Jewish people have. But secondly, the double trouble was for the believer who confessed Jesus as Lord, who is Jewish. 
Because not only did he have Gentiles who hated him for his ethnicity, he had his own Jewish brethren who hated him because he believed in Yeshua. And he was persecuted. You know, these folks were scattered. Can you imagine what that's like? I mean, sometimes you have to move. And I meet people, and I say, oh, Pastor, just want to come by and say goodbye, and we're, we're getting ready to go to Timbuktu, and they, oh, what's it been like the last few weeks? Oh, I'm just glad it's over. I'm glad the truck's here, and we're all packed up. And you know, we had all these decisions to make, and there's all this stress and the packing and the planning, and, and that's when you pick the date. We studied in Acts 8. That's not the way it happened for these people. Suppose someone came in here this morning and they said, all of you who believe in Jesus as Lord here in Beaufort County, you have one hour to get out of this town or you will be executed or jailed. What would that do for you? That's what James is referring to. That's the people to whom he is greeting. A dispersed, scattered like seed people. And he tells them and he tells us that someday, because of your faithfulness, God is going to give you the crown of life. He'll give it to everyone, not just these dispersed 12 tribes, but to all who love the Lord. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I do know that trials are the great equalizer. Doesn't matter what your status is in life. Rich people, poor people, all kinds of people get all kinds of problems in this life. But I'll tell you, there's another great equalizer, and it's death. For it's appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. And if you die and spend an eternity without God, it won't be God's fault. It will be your fault. Because you rejected the God who loved you, who died in your place, who was raised from the dead for you so that you could be forgiven and changed and have a new life. And you can go through this whole life with no meaning to your trials. Or you can go through this life as a saved person headed for heaven where your trials can take on real meaning. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you this morning for the Apostle James who gave us this book. James, Lord Jesus, your half-brother, the one who calls himself a slave of Christ. How grateful we are that he penned these words for us because I desperately need them. And we pray that as we work through this great little letter, that like James will say that we're not just those who hear the word, but those who are willing to obey it and apply it. And Father, as I speak and people are listening in different places in the world, Help us to gain perspective, whatever kind of trial that we may be in or we've come out of or what we're ready to get, go into. Help us gain perspective today and help someone listening whose life really has no meaning because they've never met Jesus. Thank you for your promise that whoever will call upon his name will be saved instantly, eternally, forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your incarnation that made that all possible. Help someone today, Spirit of God, to reach out in their heart and to say, Lord Jesus, save me. 
And we make our prayer, Jesus, in your name and for your honor. Amen. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, go online to searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 002. Maybe you would like to listen to Dr. Brogy's series offline, in the car, or on a walk. You can do that by downloading the Search the Scriptures app found on the Apple and Google Play Store. Just type Search the Scriptures and look for the blue icon with the white triangle. On the app, you can download messages to listen to anywhere or anytime. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl will continue his study in the book of James, examining how God is generous in giving wisdom to his children. Join us then as we search the scriptures.